Accepting Grace is the title for this for this morning's sermon. Um, that's all right. I got it. <laughs> all right. So, accepting grace. I remember when Maya was born, and up until she was born, I rarely cried in public. No, true story. I rarely cried in, in public. And I remember sitting there putting together the video presentation for her dedication at church. Obviously, I didn't do because I would have been a mess. But I'm sitting over there at home and, and I'm putting together the files and the, and the pictures and, and just, I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out. And my mother walks into the room where I remember exactly where I was sitting. And, and there's a huge bay window you know, that you can see. And in front of my parents' house, you can see this big old field that in the fall you can see the deer, you can even see coyotes, you can see all sorts of stuff. And my mom walks in on me, and I'm like, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. She's like, what's the matter? I was like, I don't know. I just can't stop crying. But part of it has to do with accepting grace. Because in when, when Maya was born, I was, I was approached by the pastor who gave the sermon or the homily at my ordination service. And he had not seen me since my ordination service, and I walked into his office, and he was the union president at the time, and he said something to me extremely profound. And he said, you know, now that you're a father, you get to get a little bit better of an understanding of God's love for us. Just a little bit. Because you can't compare to the love that God has for us. Because you're not God. But being a parent, you get that sliver, that crack in the doorway, so to speak, to be able to understand. And if you're not a parent yet, just wait. For those of you that are parents, I'm seeing you nod your head. Like, yeah, I agree. But the reality of it is, that's also part of accepting grace, is knowing that God gives you a beautiful gift. And you're not worthy of such a gift. And so when we come together, there's a question that just fathoms and boggles my mind each and every time we have communion. And I would venture to say that right now we have about our average attendance here at church. But most often, why is it that we have a lower amount of people come to church during communion than on a regular Sabbath? It, it, 
it boggles my mind because when we look at communion, this is something that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, right? He says, I want you to remember me when you do these things. But I'm wondering if it's because we have foot washing. No, seriously. Right? We get the bread and the wine, but why the foot washing? It, you know, and, and every time I brought it up to, to a church board, I haven't brought it up to this church board because we haven't really discussed it. We have discussed foot washing, and what we have come up with is the idea and the concept to listen, it'd be great because of COVID. Why don't the families get together and do foot washing at home as, an, as a way to prepare for the next day? And so that's why we're not having foot washing today, but we will have foot washing at our next communion, okay? But is foot washing a requirement for communion? For some, some people, oh, I'm not going to take, I, I've heard this before, I'm not going to partake of, of communion because I have not washed my feet. Because that's part of the, that's what happened. Jesus took the role of a servant and washed the disciples' feet. And then he broke the bread, and then he passed the wine. Here's where we get it, right? Here's where we get this from. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. If I then, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Jesus has said, Listen, I've done this for you, so do it as well. You should do this because I did it. Well, I want to get into, I want to unpack this a little bit more. I'm not going to answer the question right away, but I think it's going to be obvious. But most of us look at it as a requirement. You know, some Christians... I was having this conversation with, 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 with an individual one day, and they said, you know, the Catholic Church, they don't do foot washing. They just do the bread and the wine. And they do that every week. Some churches, they don't do foot washing at all, but they see a, a, a play or a reenactment of that series once a year. So they take that part as symbolism, but they take the bread and the wine as a literal body of Jesus. In, in, in the theological world, we, there's a big word for that. It's called transubstantiation, which, which means is I, as I take, and I'm going to use this as an example, as I take this wafer bread and this grape juice wine, as I partake of it, the bread literally becomes a literal piece of Jesus' blood or part or body in me. So that's what that word transubstantiation means. And a lot, a, many Christian, I want to call them my brothers and sisters. Okay, 
they believe that that actually takes place in their body. So they take that aspect of the foot washing as symbolic. But then we have this text, 1 Corinthians 11, 24. And, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So they, they literally believe that partaking of the bread becomes Jesus' literal body in us. And in the same way, he broke, he took the, the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul is echoing Jesus' words here to the Corinthian church in celebration of, of communion. But again, this part is taken literally, perhaps because it doesn't include the foot washing in this text. But what, ab- what of it? Should wa- foot washing, is the foot washing a requirement for participating in, in communion. Now, I want you to understand that I phrased that question the way I did, intentionally. Because many people, they do not participate in communion because they don't have their feet washed. They haven't done the whole procedure. I want to share with you a story and a story of, 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 of a, a person who went, and this is during Ellen White's time, who went to a church, was a Christian, but was not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church. So let me not tell you the story. Let me let you read it for yourself. This is found in the book Evangelism, part uh, page 276. So on Sabbath morning, when the, when the church at celebrated the ordinances, brother... Uh, so-and-so, was present. He was invited to unite with the ordinances of the foot washing, but said he preferred to witness it. Did you know that many people, when they come to our church, they, they first want to see what we're about before actually engaging? And that is, that is actually a very good thing. Most people, especially in today's world, they don't want to see before they get into what they're going to get themselves into. That's just the way the world works. Well, let me come, invite somebody to come to church. They'll come. Invite somebody to participate. Ah, no, let me see what the church is about. And so this gentleman probably had that same mentality, right? So he asked if participation in the ordinances was required before one could partake in the communion. And it was assured of our brethren that it was not obligatory and that it would be, he would be welcomed to the table of the Lord. See, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we practice open communion. What does that mean? It means that anybody who wants to participate can. You do not need to be a member. You don't even need to be baptized. Okay? When I was eight years old, back in the time when the church was very militant about keeping and very zealous about making sure that everybody was, fall, was, was in compliance. That's a, it's a word that's very popular today. 
not. And so as an eight-year-old, I saw my grandfather participate in communion, and I had seen that before. But at, at, as an eight-year-old kid, my curiosity got the best of me, and I said, hey, Grandpa, can I try that? So as the deacons were passing the tray around, he took an extra cup and gave it to me. He took an extra bread and gave it to me. Unbeknownst to my parents. See, my grandfather used to sit. We used to, we used to participate in a church that had, I want to say, about 500, if not 750, every Sabbath. And so he would sit, and the church was, out, was laid out kind of like this in, in, in Yaquis in the state of Rio Grande do Sul in, in Brazil. And my grandfather would sit here, and we would sit in the other, other side of the church. And when it was time for praise and worship, the hymns back then, I could clearly hear him sing above everybody else. That big, burly German voice he had. But this particular Sabbath, I was sitting with him and not with my parents, and he passed around the 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 chalice and, and he gave me the bread and I took it and one day I'm sitting at, at and playing in his in his yard and he comes over he's like hey all right I need to talk to you I'm like what's going on he's like hey your name was brought before the board and I said what are you talking about I don't even know what the board was before the board they putting my name on a piece of wood and and so he said, no, um, they want to know if they're going to discipline you if because you're not baptized and you partook of communion. You know, I never got to hear the end of that story. He never shared it with me. Partially because not long after that, we left, the, we left Brazil for the U.S. And I was never able to ask, hey, Grandpa, what really happened? Because it's one thing when you tell your 8-year-old kid what's taking place. It's another thing when you come back later as an adult and you say, hey, what really happened? And so my, my grandfather passed away shortly after, well, yeah, shortly after we visited him after eight years that we had moved. So I never got to hear the story. But I remember that feeling of getting that chalice and the bread. I felt like I was participating in something that I believed in and I belonged to. But you know, this story doesn't end here. Check this out. This Sabbath was when they asked him, they came back and said, this is the response he gave. This Sabbath was the most precious day to his soul. He said that he had never had a happier day in his life. This is, took place around 1800, late 1800s. What leads a person to feel this way? I believe it's when we, we look at a text like this. In John chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Blessed and happy are you who do them. This comes right on the heels of the context of the foot washing at the Last Supper because Jesus, after he has instituted the Last Supper, he says, blessed are you who, in some versions, in other versions it says, happy are you, but the actual Greek word 
literally means an experience of happiness. In other words, you will be so happy, you're going to experience happiness if you do this. And again, the question of why don't people come to church more for communion than a regular Sabbath? If the feeling is going to be a, of, of a pleasant one, if it's going to be experienced, if it's going to be joy in, in remembering the services and, and the acts that Jesus has done for us, why is it that Adventist churches in their Sabbath communion day celebrations have a lower attendance than in the regular one? Partially, I believe, is because we don't quite understand what being created in God's image is about. And God said, let us make men in, in, in whose image? Ours. You see, when we look at that context, to be truly human means for us to follow the example of God. And God, ever since the beginning of time, wanted humanity to be blessing to the world. We're going to talk about that this afternoon, by the way. Small plug-in. God wanted us to be a blessing. Because the Bible tells us that God is love, and he created us, and if he is love, we if we do not know God, we do not know love. This is straight out of the Bible. 1 John 4, 8. And we have known and believed the love of God for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. To have the image of God is to be loving. I'm sure many of us here can think of times and experiences where we as a church have not been loving. But let me back, get back to foot washing. You know, when Peter saw Jesus, when Peter saw Jesus taking the role of a Gentile servant, because no Jew would take that role themselves, Peter you know, being brash and being sanguine. He said, Lord, not my feet only, my whole body too. Jesus, I can, I, I can see Jesus looking at Peter and saying, oh, Peter, oh, Peter. What I'm talking about is not physical cleanliness. I'm talking about spiritual cleanliness. I'm talking about it's not about you being clean on the outside. It's about you being clean on the inside. It took a while for Peter to get that. Because as much as he wanted his whole outside to be clean, it, was, it, it came from his body, it came from the inside, the denial of Jesus three times. See, it's easy to accept, or I should say it's easier for us to render service than it is for us to accept. See, Peter didn't understand that to be loving and to be created in the image of God, the very act of creation 
was one of service on behalf of humanity. It wasn't that God created humanity to appease a selfish desire to be served. To be created in God's image means that we are going to be loving, and to be loving means that we are going to be service-bound to our neighbors. It means that we're going to be the ones who eventually bring the good news in care. N.T. Wright, a famous theologian, wrote these words, When human beings give their heartfelt allegiance to and worship that which is not God, the pro- progressively, they progressively cease to reflect the image of God. In other words, the moment that you cease living what God had intended you to live like and be like, you start losing that identity with God. Well, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have felt distant from God? It could it be that at that very moment is because you were not living according to the image that was created in you? Could it be that when you felt distance, and, and I'll tell you what, Ellen White herself talked about this in her own personal life when she said that whenever she felt distant from God is because she was also distancing herself from the purpose that God had built within us be loving, and to be of service to our neighbors. We are created to reflect the image of God. I'm going back to, to Peter. This, I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, if you had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern for you to understand is holiness is not hygiene. See, spirituality, holiness, is not about you being perfect. It's not about you being sinless. But it's about you fulfilling God's plan for your life. It's easier for us to accept, excuse me, for us to serve than to accept service. Again, accepting grace. Peter couldn't accept it. Peter could not accept that Jesus was doing something that, that wasn't proper. The Bible says, actually Jesus said in Luke 5.36, give and you will receive. Right? <laughs> no. That's not what he said. He said, ask and it shall be given to you, right? But you have to be able to give in order to receive. You can't expect to ask God to fill your cup each and every single morning if you are not empty it it out. You need to give what God has given you in order for you to receive more. But that's what grace is. Grace is nothing more than us surrendering and what God has given us and passing it out. Again, I'm putting this as a, this is a plug-in. It's not intentional. Well, actually, yeah, it was. But for this afternoon, when we talk about being the blessed, accepting grace is not just about receiving, but it's about giving it as well. 
See, God wants us to live in such a way that he wants us to understand that his love is so powerful. But love's power is demonstrated through the vulnerability we set it for. We want people to come to church. We want people to participate in things. We want our children to go to grow up and 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 live a, a righteous and holy life. Ask any parent that. If they say no, well, let's talk afterwards. We want the best for our kids. We want the best for for ourselves. But God's not going to make you do something you don't want to. God's not going to force you to do something, and that's why we are not compelling people. Hey, if you're a member, it does. You know, when you become a member of the Seventh Adventist Church, we do not have a clause that says, "Thou shalt come to church every communion Sabbath." We can't compel you to serve, and we can't compel you to ask for forgiveness. And we can't compel you to accept grace. Because you have to be vulnerable. Not only before God, but before each other. Don't take my word for it. When his disciples saw Jesus, they said, Hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespassers as we as we forget those who trespass against us. In other words, in order for me to receive the forgiveness that God has promised to give me, I need to, the same way that I'm asking him to forgive me, I need to forgive my neighbor. It's a condition of forgiveness it's a it's a actual reflection of god's character and that's why we do foot washing is because we have to be about vulnerable with each other we have to allow ourselves to say i messed up with you that's the significance of the foot washing. That's the significance of why we do foot washing also. Is us demonstrating humility. If Jesus, the creator of humanity, took upon the role of a, of, of a Gentile servant and performed that ritual to his chosen twelve, now picture this. They didn't have tables, right? They they actually leaned on the ground. I'm not going to do it here. I was tempted to, but but they leaned on one elbow. And they had the right hand free to pick the food to eat with their hands. There was no utensils, there was no knives, there was no forks. So kids, if you want to use your hands, go ahead. Jesus did it. 
Who was laying at Jesus' bed? John. If John is, because they were so close, right? If John is here, Jesus is lying here. John is here. Who is Jesus next to? Judas. Jesus is just as close to Judas as John is to him. Bible commentators have described this as, as, as not only a, a wonderful demonstration of humility, but it also meant that Jesus never stopped loving his betrayer. That position also gives Jesus the opportunity to whisper something intimate if he needed to. Have you ever laid down next to somebody like that, where you guys are all together and you're like, hey, check this out, and you're able to nudge? Because that's exactly the position that Jesus had. So when he got up and girded himself, everybody was kind of, they sat up, turned around, and Jesus began washing his feet right there and then. There are many of us here today who need to wash somebody else's feet other than our spouses. That's why we continue to practice humility through the foot washing ceremony. And that's why we're going to have it back again at our next communion, which will be Friday night. We call it Good Friday. We'll have Sabbath, like normal. But on Friday night, we're going to have an agape supper. Well, Pastor, what about COVID? I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but so what? It's there's so many things that we do on a daily on a daily basis. Why are we not coming and doing what we have done to honor our God? We do everything during the week, but then on Sabbath I'm not going to church because of COVID. Wait, no, no, I'm gonna get off at COVID. We need to practice humility with each other. That's what foot washing is about. It's not mandated. It's not required. What it does is that it begins to break the ice of selfishness. It begins to to tear down the walls of segregation. It begins to tear down the walls of discrimination begins to tear down the walls of you fill in the blank. So, well, pastor, my feet don't look pretty. You should have seen the disciples' feet. They didn't have closed-toed shoes. Well, pray about it. If you're more concerned about what you look like on the outside with your neighbor, maybe that's an, that's something that you need to take as you go home today. You need to pray about it. 
say, Lord, I want to serve you and I want to respect your 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 command to observe this, to remember you by, because of what you've done, because you are greater than I. I'm not greater than you. Maybe that is a point that we need to understand. That I'm going to get in trouble for this too. You're not going to burn in hell for stealing somebody else's sheep. It's not, a, it's not an intimate thing in that matter. It's an intimate thing in this matter. It's about you and God. It's not about you and the next person. It's about the relationship that you have with that person that's going to that's going to reflect in your vertical relationship with God. That's what foot washing is about. It's nothing to do with you or your feet. So if you need to do something so you can feel comfortable, well, you've got three months, two and a half months to do it. But please do not lose sight of the context. Foot washing is not required, it's not mandated, but it is essential. It is essential in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual development, in our spiritual growth. So I invite you, in remembrance of that, to take out your cross. I'm going to invite Linda Fortright. If you, if you do not have a cup, on the far table right by the door, you may get it. Remember, there are, two, there are two flaps. There's a plastic flap and there's the foil, aluminum foil flap. Pull out the plastic flap, and you're going to then take just the wafer, and this will still be sealed. I know some of you are, are, are making your way, your, seat, your way back to your seat. But as Linda prays, and after she prays, she has prayed, I will read a text from the book of Luke. Lord Jesus, bread of life. We yearn for your presence with us, in us. We pray that you'll create in us a new heart, a heart like your own. We pray that you will inhabit our persons. We take you into ourselves as best we can. We invite you in, Lord. Bless us. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And likewise, he took the cup of the supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Dear Lord, oh, the blood, the blood of the Lamb shed on our behalf to separate us from this place, to rise us to heavenly places, to cover our sins. Oh Lord, what a great blessing this is for us. We thank You. We praise You. We thank You for the grace that You have shown us. And as we partake of the emblem today, help us to be more merciful to our brothers. More grace-filled as You have given us grace by this emblem, by Your life, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. I pray that as you participated, have participated in communion, I want to remind you one thing. Accepting grace is harder than it seems. To have an understanding or to have a, a, a belief that everything that we say and do, yeah, I recognize that Jesus is is sovereign and Lord. But the consequence of accepting that grace is that you begin to reflect the image that was created and that you were created for or by. And so I invite you to begin to live anew, to rededicate your lives, to live according to the purpose God has designed for you. And if you don't know what that is, pray about it. But I know, I know of an event that's taking place today. That if you would like to begin to discover the purpose for your life, I invite you to come and join us at 4 o'clock right here. May God bless you, and may God give you grace.